Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey cuties, I'm Miles Sexton, a content creator, activist, and loud and proud disruptor of the norm. On Our Private Bits, we talk about the things and people that don't get talked about enough or at all. Trust me, as a sober, HIV-positive, non-binary person, I would know. Join me as I chat with people in my life and from around the world whose stories deserve to be heard. Maybe you'll learn something new and you will definitely LOL. Our Private Bits is also part of the ACAST Creator Network. All right, cuties, today on Our Private Bits, we have a very special guest, Jessica Baum, joining us, who is a licensed mental health counselor and author of Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love. Want to say hi, Jessica? Hi, I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm so excited to have this talk. (laughs) Me too, me too. I feel like I've been sliding into your DMs and chatting so much with you. So this is like a full circle moment for me to just get to chat with you because your book literally changed my life. And I, yeah, I can't wait to dive into it because I feel like everyone needs to read your book. It was so helpful and just like so digestible. And yeah, so thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for that feedback. That means so much to me. Uh, So I know like kind of the premise of your book is really talking about attachment styles, like definitely focusing in on like anxiously attached or being an anxious attachment style. But I was curious for like those who are listening who maybe have never heard of attachment styles or don't really know very much about them. Could you maybe just like explain a little bit about like the different types of attachment styles that exist? Sure. I mean, and we, so we have a lot of four categories and everybody wants to like kind of fit into one. And (laughs) really the true of the neuroscience is that we have pockets of everything, but identifying with one type can help you understand your behaviors in a relationship. So attachment systems, styles, adaptations, nervous system, all of these ways in which we protect ourselves and we connect or feel and disconnection actually start in early childhood Mm -hmm. with our primary caregivers. And so what we learn through our connection and attunement and getting our needs met in those early relationships lays down the fundamental blueprint um, in terms of how we feel safe or not safe in a relationship. And so there are four categories. Um, they're secure and, and genuinely secure people have an inherent trust in the world are going to get their needs met. They don't have a big fear of abandonment. They also don't feel smothered in a relationship. They can move through things with a lot more flexibility and ease. And a good percent of our population is secure. And if you're secure, it doesn't mean you can't have other traits. It just means you're not as affected by relationship turbulence or conflict as much. Then there's anxious, um, like the one I wrote my book about, although I talk a lot about avoidant in my book as yes. well. But <laughs> Anxious people tend to, um, they're, they're, I would say the theme is inconsistency. So they feel like the shoe is going to drop. Often they resemble having what you call like codependent traits. I think mm-hmm. the, you know, pop, our culture can kind of identify with that word, but really they 
meet the needs of their primary caregiver by self-abandoning. So they'll leave their body, they'll tune to others, they tend to be people pleasers, they're very empathic, they can read the room. Um, yeah, so th they tend to kind of like almost leave, like meet the other person's needs, you know, self-abandon. That would say that it's a primary kind of hallmark of them. And totally. then the other would be more of an avoidant um, person who tends to not meet the needs, but shut down and they can look more selfish. Um, they don't co-regulate, so they don't help you calm down because then when they're in fear, they kind of run in the other direction and struggle with abandonment as well, but it comes out very different than the anxious. And these two tend to attract each other constantly and play out certain dynamics, which we can talk about if you want to. And then there's fearful avoidant, which um, the scientific name is disorganized. And that's more or less, a lot of trauma has been on the infant. It doesn't know where to go. So I can't go towards my parent, but I'm also really scared to leave. Sometimes with sexual abuse or extreme neglect or other things that can lead to disorganized um, feelings where there's just no safe place to go. So you can have more than one embedded trauma um, attachment style in you. And attachment style is a combination of two people's energy and embedded patterns together. So you could show up more anxious in one relationship and maybe more avoidant in another. You could have internalized both your parents, your mom and your dad, or, you know, whoever your primary caregivers are. So it's, it's pretty layered and it's pretty complicated, but knowing, you know, how you respond in pain, knowing where you land can obviously give you some information, some compassion and some understanding of how your behaviors and how you might be showing up in intimate relationships. I, I love it. I definitely find, you know, for myself, like I, after reading your book, I was like, oh, I'm such an anxious attachment style. But then I also am like, no, there's definitely moments in my like, you know, in experiences of like when I go through things, like especially when like trauma is present or like something really heavy presents itself in my life that I move into like a bit more avoidant. So like, I love that you shared this because it's, I, I think I agree. Like, I, I think that so many people can like maybe identify with certain aspects of each one and like, and they could be triggered depending on like what's happening in their lives. Absolutely. I always say like, I'm primary anxious, but I have avoidant protectors. So, if yes. you you know, we have the, we have it so layered and I, a lot of people are confused as to why those avoidant protectors come up, but it, it really is complicated and it's not just a label, but no. knowing where you land primarily when you're really scared, do you, do you shut down and run away or do you run towards? And mm -hmm. it, you could be both, but what do you primarily do can give you a little bit more of an indication of where you land in which style. Exactly. Now, I know you mentioned earlier about like that our attachment styles like really form a lot from like our primary caregivers, you know, when we're younger. So there was something that you said in your book that like, it was like one of my favorite sort of quotes. And I had like, oh, I just like started crying when I read this. And it was our parent, our parents love us or loved us the way they only knew how to. And I thought that that was really interesting. You know, and it's such a like, it's such a simple sentence, but like, I don't know why that just, it really hit me because I think for myself, I like put so much like resentment and blame towards my parents. I think like based off of how I am now, but then like when I read that, I was like, wow, no, like that's so true. Like our parents really, they really did. They, they were doing the best that they could. They were, you know, it, it wasn't like they were like actively trying to like sabotage me, you know, in any way they were just loving me how they knew how to. So, like, I'm curious about, like, where, if you could just maybe talk a little bit more about, like, where this, like, type of, like, this, this sort of sentence came from within your research or your own personal experience. 
Yeah. And I think it's, there's so many layers to healing and looking at what we didn't receive and we can get really angry (laughs) myself. (laughs) And then I think that, you know, our parents are also doing the best that they can given their nervous system, their survival states, their beliefs, what they've inherited. And this Mm -hmm. is essentially what we're talking about when we're talking about intergenerational trauma is that our parents are surviving and, and, you know, maybe they have some unhealed wounds or they have not a lot of self-awareness or their nervous system is, you know, in fight or flight, maybe they lost their job, maybe they were going through something, but all of that impacts the child and what the child does or doesn't get. And the the messages we download and our original paradigm and our felt sense of relationships, our embodiment, all of that. And so while it can be really part of the healing process to be upset and, you know, grieve what we didn't get, I think as you heal, you start to see that your parents have little me's in them too. Mm -hmm. And your parents are also a product of their parents and their upbringing. And you start to put all the pieces together and you start to actually form some compassion for your parents. But I mean, these are stages of healing when we start to look at kind of like where, what were your grandparents doing and how did they impact your parents and what did your parents get? And so then how were they able to show up for you? And so I don't think it's, I think it's really important not to bypass Mm -hmm. the impact that your parents might have had on you, but I think it's also important to understand the intention. And so people can have really good intentions and parents can love us a lot and they can still impact us with their wounds or life or there's no rule book and they didn't do it perfectly. So understanding both those as you move through your own journey is really important. It's you're you're so right. And I it's like exactly it's like taking the step back, you know, from that sort of situation. Sometimes we're so just like head into it that we can't sort of see what's happening else, like, you know, around, you know, the situation. So where did like do I I'm so curious about this. So in your book you use like the reference of like little little me or or you know, where did that come from? Like was there as is there a story I, behind that? <laughs> no, I actually someone who was helping me be creative came up with it and uh, I didn't want to use inner child. I felt like that was used so much. And little me is like the way in which that expressed. It's like still part of me. You know, I don't know. It just felt better. So it actually wasn't my brilliant idea. So I'm not going to take full credit. But when it came (laughs) up, I was like, that is perfect. And um, I've seen it on the internet a little bit, a lot more now. And I, you know, I wonder if more and more people are using that, that verbiage, which is cool. Absolutely. Because I think it's sort of like, it takes away the like, you know, the childness from it, right? Because I think like, you know, yes, or maybe there is elements of part of us that are inside of us that are similar to children. But I think that there were also like involved, evolved too. So I love that little me is a bit more, you know, ambiguous in that way. But yeah, I just, I absolutely just love it. (laughs) Now, I'm curious too, like on this sort of like, inspiration on things was there like a reason why you wrote anxiously attached like where 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 did that like creative process come from i guess in in creating this book you know i just think i i feel like through my own personal struggles i just knew and and also what i've been treating in my private practice for 15 years and what i see people go through i just knew so many people were going through this Mm -hmm. i know so many people are struggling in this way I kept a self-abandoning because that's my adaptive strategy. I couldn't put it into words. So I researched the hell out of it and I started to really understand it. And I said, the general public needs to understand these patterns and these behaviors and have more of a roadmap towards healing them. And I think it was a mixture of what I study and am probably like 
a geek out about <laughs> and my personal experiences and, and realizing that, you know, if I'm struggling or if I struggled this with this in my life and I see so many people struggling, there needs to be more tool books out there or, or roadmaps out there. And, you know, I read every single book on codependency and you know, anxious attachment is such a more, in my opinion, is such more sophisticated way of understanding our adaptive strategies. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, I needed to write the book. I don't know, came from inside of me. It's so important. I think even from like an accessibility standpoint, because, you know, even for someone like myself, you know, like it's only been the last year that I've been able to afford therapy, you know, and I think just having a book like what you've written can just help so many people who maybe can't even afford to like start working through that. And I think your book just offers so many great just like practices that you can do with your little me, you know, and just kind of examples of self-awareness, you know, that maybe you, you can like adapt into your own life. So I, uh, I just love it. <laughs> yeah. And I really say in my book, if you can't afford a therapist, a non-judgmental warm friend to help you when you're working through the book. And I tried to be with you in the book. So you mm -hmm. didn't feel alone, you know, that, and yeah, absolutely. That's probably also why I wrote it. I, you know, I have a private practice here in Palm beach and a lot of people can afford therapy. And then there's a lot of people who can't, and it doesn't mean you can't heal. And it doesn't mean you need a therapist to heal, but you do need support to heal. Yes. Um, and I, I spell that out really well in the book. Can't heal alone, but with the right support um, and tools and information, you absolutely can heal. Couldn't agree more. And I also, as I listened to the audiobook, was the was the first round too. And I felt like I was just like sitting there, like right with you as I was listening to it. So it was, yeah, I, I think that if people are into audiobooks, I, hopefully if they listen to podcasts, I, I highly recommend it because it just added this like extra personal sort of touch. You know, like I, when you say little me, I can like hear you say it in the book. <laughs> so the audiobook was so hard for me. Was too, it? Yeah, it was hard, but I just... I felt like I needed to be the voice. I yes. really just wanted to be with the reader, but it's, yeah. And you know, there's so much pain in what we're talking about. And I think it kind of comes through. I mean, the audiobook mm -hmm. has surprisingly done so well. People love the audiobook, So I'm glad that I did it, but it was hard. Yeah. It was what, really hard. What was the hardest part, I guess, like for I you know, reading it out <laughs> loud, knowing when to breathe, when yes. you read, like, even <laughs> when you're reading for like five days straight, like when to breathe, where to put the tone, it's just, it's another level. It's something I never. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
did before. So it was, it was hard. Yeah. Did you have like a voice coach like with you? Yeah. yeah. I still had like a little breakdown in the middle of all of it. So (laughs) I always think of like, uh, and just like that when, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker is like reading her book and he's like, I don't know, enunciate the S's or something like that in it. Like it makes me think of that. I I would, I would struggle. (laughs) Yeah. I think every author struggles. It's, It's hard, but it's just so much more powerful. Like it's a great audio book. So I'm glad that you listened to it. Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. <laughs> so another part from the book that I, I wanted to just like double click into was sort of like a section that you were really talking about boundaries. And I just want to mm-hmm. read the quote that you wrote. So boundaries are not a wall. They are an open door. There should be a gate that can open and close. So this was another really great one. I was like, oh, okay, writing this down. I have like a little like note section <laughs> on my phone of like really great things. But I guess like for the, for the, I guess the listeners don't have context maybe into like how you wrote that in, in that specific chapter. But I'm wondering if you could explain that a little bit more. Sure. You know, I talk a lot about anxiously attached people struggling with um, boundaries because they didn't have a lot of mirroring um, from their parents. So their sense of self isn't particularly strong. So Mm -hmm. they tend to uh, let anyone in or have uh, weak walls or a sense of self is a little blurred. So their boundary system is, I don't know, it's not that strong. And then you can go to the other end of the spectrum where maybe more avoidant people appear like they have a really strong boundary system. Mm -hmm. Like they have these walls up, you know, and you can't get through and they're very rigid and the truth is like in, and when we get to really know ourselves and in relationships, that boundaries are more fluid and flexible. And that when we have safety in relationships, we can have, you know, comfortable conversations about where we are and, and be more fluid and, and, and flexible where an anxious person will kind of just give and give and, and, you know, to find love, it, it kind of backfires on them mm-hmm. in the boundary system way. And they struggle sometimes with knowing how to say no because of their fear of abandonment. So they're likely to say yes and be a people pleaser. So all of that stems from a deeper kind of place of around a sense of self and, and safety and a fear of a, abandonment and kind of learning how to be flexible with safe people and learning how to ask for your needs is that's mm-hmm. all part of the work for the anxious person. It's so, it's, you know, it's interesting. So with my relationship with Tyler, who, you know, helps me with this podcast a lot, you know, we had, after reading your book, we had a lot of conversations about our relationship and and this specifically, because, you know, reading this and going through this sort of piece of just like, really, it helps me like understand like how I was reacting, you know, like I'm such a anxiously attached person in that way of like, I give, give, give. But I was very like unaware of it, you know, like I, I realized whenever I felt Tyler pulling away, you know, I would start like, I don't know, I would book us a trip or I would like buy him something or like I would like cook these elaborate meals. And I was just like constantly trying to be like, no, like, look at all the amazing things I do for you. You know, don't pull away from me. Like, you know, I, I, I don't want you to leave me because, you know, look how amazing I am. And and so it really helped me realize like how unhealthy, you know, that is and also just how anxious that made me you know, kind of going through that. And I was like, oh, I'm not like giving also to myself in these situations. Like I'm doing things that maybe are just specific to him. So yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a really, like, I really loved 
that because now I feel like we're working on having a bit more balance, you know, and for me to ask him when I need help and support has been really hard. He's definitely more of an avoidant <laughs> attachment style. So it's like, I've always been very like atim- intimidated to ask him for support within our relationship. So um, right. yeah, it's, no. it, it's really cool. <laughs> That's really, I mean, and that, that is common. I think that, you know, overextending or starting to do more because of fear, it's all mm-hmm. fear. So yes. you just want to check in. When I'm overcooking these meals and I'm going booking a trip, is it coming from a place of fear? And yes. if it is, you know, that's worth a conversation or not. I mean, because giving is wonderful. Totally. And it's just, it's okay. Have a, it's almost like this. I use this analogy of like, I've been sick all week and my friend is sick. I mean, I've been working all week. I've been, you know, I'm so tired and my friend is sick and I don't really have it in me to cook chicken soup and bring mm-hmm. it over there, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yes. It's like that's coming from a place of fear, right? Yes. Like I have to take care of, I have to do rather than I have time. I know my friend is, you know, like, so we really just want to check in. Like, why are we doing the things mm-hmm. we do? We're doing, are they coming from fear or are they coming from a place of just genuinely wanting to give and receive? And I think once you can kind of get in touch with that, then you can start to work on the giving from the fear space. But I, everybody does it. And oh, absolutely. So <laughs> hard but, on yourself. No, but, it, you know, it's a part of growing, right? When you recognize it. And, and, I, and I love exactly how you said that. It's like, is this is this action coming from fear? Is it coming from shame? You know, there's, I think a lot of the time we're like, oh, like, you know, I, I, I'm a good person, so I have to do that. Well, it's not about if you're a good person or not. It's like, it's where is that action coming from? So uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, so I guess like one of the biggest parallels, I guess that I, another big takeaway that I took from, from your book, I know we've discussed this a little bit because I I wrote you about it, but it was so interesting how I very much like separated, I think, so I've been sober for six years now and I found trying to rewrite or just like acknowledge my emotional scripts. I found that so hard and like a task that I was like, I don't understand it. I don't know how to tackle it. But then after reading your book, I was like, okay, no, they're actually like very similar to how, how I needed to rewrite my scripts within my sobriety, you know, looking at my actions, like what is triggering me to like want to drink or to use substances. And, and I think it's, it's very much as like the same way, like what is triggering me in this moment that's causing me to, you know, express my anxious attachment or my avoidant attachment style. Um, so I guess like, I'm curious, like, do you have any sort of like top tips that you would like recommend, I guess, for people who are like looking to just sort of like start, I guess, maybe on the journey of like rewriting their emotional scripts or attachment styles. Sure. Yeah. I have a couple (laughs) things to say to what you said. Well, anxiously attached people struggle with Mm self-regulation because there wasn't enough, what we call co-regulation when we were small. So our parents didn't soothe us. So the tendency to use substances or other things is actually makes sense because we don't have the ability we I didn't don't have know the that. Ability to calm our nervous system down. And so we'll reach out for things or people to do that because it's literally the missing developmental link. So mm-hmm. be so kind on yourself if you if you had years of reaching out for a substance because you didn't have the the ability to self-regulate. And we don't get the ability to self-regulate until we we have a lot of co-regulation. Um, so that's one thing that you said that I just kind of wanted to, you know, piggyback off of and then changing. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yeah. And then there was another thing when you say trigger, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to say the word awaken. So every time we get, yeah, every time we get triggered, 
I want you to think what is awakening inside of me right now. Oh, right. This. And so we can take the shame out of like this word and we can say, okay, some younger part of me, some fear, some, something's going on. And when we use the word awaken, it kind of shifts our relationship to what's going on inside of us. So that's also really important. And then I think when it comes to changing um, your attachment scripts, I actually, Instead of changing your anxiously attached, I kind of look at it as fully embracing it. Mm. And I think when you fully embrace, okay, I adapted, I brilliantly adapted by leaving my body, by self-abandoning, by I, this is how I brilliantly survived in the world. We start to shift and take the shame out of the behaviors and start to say this this all this makes sense and so i kind of kind of lean into it and say okay this is now part of me and thank god i learned how to adapt and survive in this way and maybe it's caused me some pain in my adult years or confusion around my behaviors but now that i have this wisdom around the neuroscience and the adaptations i can kind of be kinder to myself and i don't really need to change the whole script but it just everything just starts to make sense and it just shifts to more compassion around my own story. I love that. I think language is so, you're, you're so right. I think this is, this conversation is such a good reminder of, you know, how language can affect us and like just by slightly shifting how we look at something or how we say, you know, a word awaken versus trigger that it can have such a different, even know, just emotional impact within us. Uh-huh. How is that? Has that been something that you've always like? Have you always been a very like self aware like kind of person in, in your life? Like, how, yeah. Oh my like, god, <laughs> no! I feel like first of all, I feel like I've learned a lot from my mentors, and I keep learning. Um, and I've learned a lot in my relationships, and I feel like we're always evolving. And mm-hmm. I think that if you keep an open mind a mindset around like, what am I learning from this experience? And I have not always been that self-aware. It's been a long freaking journey and I'm still on it. Just like everybody else, I'm still evolving and trying to get more conscious if that comes to me and, and trying to stay humble around like what's coming up inside my world right now. And it's a constant unfolding. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I've always had probably more than most a deep curiosity as to human behaviors and my own experiences. And like, I'm a little metaphysical and psychological. That's been part of me since I was a little girl, but as far as self-aware, well, no, I've (laughs) I've earned all of that and I continue to earn it. And I hope to continue to earn it humbly, continue to earn it. Absolutely. I feel like you are inspiring also other people to, you know, earn it within themselves as well, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if yeah. you're not all following, you know, Jessica on social media, I, I look I look forward to whenever you post something new because I think they're your posts are very like thought provoking as well or whatever subject you're sort of like clicking into that day. So uh, I love Thank it. You. Is there a, like, are you looking at writing another book? Is that like in the works for you? Is there like a part two to anxiously attached? Like, I'm, I'm curious about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a, a book concept and possibly a book deal right now. Ooh. I don't know when you're hearing this. But with the book process, it'll be a year to write and probably okay. another year to print. So it wouldn't be for another two years, but it is, um, I can't even share what it is. That's until okay. I That's okay. Deal, I'm just but excited. It definitely will follow suit in terms of it's that I think the same readers will gravitate towards this book. Um, so it will fit the audience as well. 
Ah, oh, that's so exciting. I, I can't wait. Cheers. Uh, Put it get on my calendar. It's I don't good. have the deal yet, but um, <laughs> hey. I'm pretty sure it will land in the right hands. You know how those things We're go. manifesting it. It, it needs yes. to happen. Uh, thank you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll petition. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I also know that you're... So I, when I was reading your bio, I, this is something I, I, I wasn't aware of, but you're also the founder of Southful. So can you tell me a little bit about that and like how that, how that, that program works? It's a program, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I have two companies. So I have a private practice here that's like has a physical location on Worth Avenue in Palm Beach. And then I have a coaching business. So Be Self Full is really just my coaching business. Okay. So it's, it's based around the book, but it's also, we provide courses and online coaching. I have a team of people for people around the world so that I can help people that aren't just in the state. Florida. And so Mm -hmm. it's a different contract. It's a different model. It's a different, it's not a completely different method, but it's more geared towards coaching and less towards um, what I do in my private practice in psychotherapy. Wow. That's amazing. So amazing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I guess just to end this beautiful conversation, I would love if you could maybe just share where people can find you. And I will also link it in in the bio as well. Sure. <laughs> for this. sure. Yeah. Um, Jessica Baum, LMHC on Instagram. Basically, you can just put Jessica Baum into Google and you'll find me. But the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach is my um, private practice. And then Be Selfful is my coaching. And then Anxiously Attached is just about anywhere. So maybe yes. you can link that too. <laughs> I definitely but, will link um, it. Everyone needs to read it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, thank you for all your support. You you have an amazing energy and I just feel really grateful to be with you here with you today. So oh my gosh. Well, thank, thank you for the opportunity to get to chat with you in person. I know uh, life can be very busy. So I, I'm super grateful for your it time. It was in divine timing. We <laughs> it finally was. made it happen. Happened, finally did it's true and then help thank you for helping me pop my virtual chat charity uh cherry because i <laughs> i was like i haven't done this yet so this is this really is exciting <laughs> well thank you so much jessica and i'm sure we'll be chatting again soon hopefully that sounds awesome <laughs> all right bye bye Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 